Hey everyone, welcome to How Did You Gain a Testimony? Today's episode is super fun because it's a joint podcast with Carrie Molstein. Yep, and this is a, a joint podcast with The Scriptures Are Real, the podcast that I do. Kind of a bonus episode for us. Yeah, perfect. It's super fun and exciting. I'm so grateful that I get to interview Carrie today and that, um, yeah, I'm just really excited. So do you want to give at least my podcast an introduction on yourself? Sure. And, uh, and then we'd love to hear a little bit about you. So uh, my name is Kerry Mielstein. I'm a professor of ancient scripture at, at BYU. I'm an Egyptologist and Hebraist and uh, all that kind of stuff. I have six kids, one grandchild. And um, Emily's, Emily is actually in my uh, my Old Testament class right now. So getting to know her that way, that's uh, a lot of fun. And our podcast focuses on elements of the scriptures that have made them become very real for us. We kind of follow, come follow me, but we we try and focus on things that have made them become more real or that help us understand them in a different way. So that's the kind of thing I love. Yeah, that's so cool. And I listened to an episode or two of your podcast. I loved it. Felt oh, the spirit glad. so strong. Um, it's just like insanely relatable and it's just so good. So I really like well, it. I, I felt the same thing. I checked out your podcast a little bit and I thought, oh, there's some really powerful things in here. That's <laughs> a, a really, really wonderful, powerful. So that's why I thought, well, let's do a joint one. It's yeah. a little bit of kind of different than what we usually have on my podcast. Uh, that's why I'll call it a bonus episode. It's it's not doing come follow me, but it. I think we will talk about some things that have made the scriptures and other things become very real. So I, I hope it's yeah. enjoyable for my listeners and for yours. No, for sure. I'm I'm really excited. Um, but a little bit of an intro on me. My name's Amelia Rabe. I'm a student at BYU. I'm majoring in psychology, minoring in ancient Near Eastern studies. I kind of want to go into religious psychology is the goal. Um, but I, and, I mean, you and don't I, need I just a have to interrupt you. Like, how cool? Because yeah. like, I got my bachelor's in psychology with a minor in Hebrew, but that was oh, no way. basically Near Eastern studies at the time. So yeah, yeah. so very, very similar. And I'm sorry, I did oh. say your name wrong even after I asked you how to say it, but anyway. <laughs> uh, or, uh, anyway no, you're I mean, totally yeah. fine. Really, you're totally so, fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's all you really need to know about me. But are you ready to uh, kind of jump in? Sure. Where, where are you from? Oh, um, so I kind of grew up all over. I was born in El Salvador. I grew right. up in Mexico City and then kind of moved in lived in a lot of different places. Um, but I graduated high school in Texas in like Dallas, Fort Worth area. So that's Great. what I call home. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Let's jump yeah. in. We'll do this however you want to do it. Perfect. Okay. I'm super excited. Um, so let's start off with, tell me a little bit about how you grew up, um, where you grew up, what your family was like growing up, and then what part the gospel played in that. Oh, that's a that's a great question. I appreciate that. And I I, I think it also speaks like uh, to how I, I gained a testimony because I'm probably not what you were hoping for or looking for in that um, I can't remember not having a testimony. Mm. Uh, President Hinckley talks about that with himself and with others. He says, you don't have to have like this big conversion story or something like that. It may be that you've known for so long that that you can't remember it. In fact, he even uh, he quoted uh, Emerson, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, when someone asked him, um, what books have influenced you the most? And he said, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you just like I can't tell you what meals I've eaten, but they've still made me who I am, uh, mm. you know, that kind of thing. So I grew up in Sandy, Utah. Uh, it was very rural at the time. We had a couple of acres uh, that we did, had a little farm on and some horses and stuff like that, and sometimes cows and sheep and whatever. And uh, um, had there were six kids in my family. 
my parents were very LDS. Um, uh, my dad was he, he, just a, an amazing person, but I'd say, so he worked for IBM. He was an electrical engineer for IBM, which at the time is when IBM was huge, but he was also, he was kind of a rough redneck is really what you might call him. He, he wanted to be a farmer, but he had to, to do this when they had an orchard. They used to have a a huge orchard, actually a cherry orchard, right where like uh, Y Mount is now uh, at oh, BYU wow. in that area. Uh, and then they moved to Springville, but it got a blight and they lost their whole orchard. So he ended up working oh. for IBM to support himself, always wanting to start another farm and never did. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, so he was not, uh, I mean, just a, a fantastic person, but it, I don't know that uh, you would have looked at him and said, well, now there's a deep Latter-day Saint, even though uh, he ended up... Um, uh, serving two missions with my mom, singing in choirs and general conference and uh, temple dedications and things like that. But uh, if you talked to him, you would have just said, yeah, there's kind of a an old uh, country boy is what you would have said. Right. But anyway, yeah, uh, it, it certainly influenced me. I can remember waking up um, to get ready for school. I'm feeling like this is way too early to be getting up and getting ready for school. And I'd come up and my mom was making breakfast, but I could look over at the table and she'd have the scriptures and a whole bunch of books about the scriptures out. And she'd been getting up early, uh, earlier than we were getting up to read her scriptures before she started making breakfast for us. And I think that's mm -hmm. when I first started to love the scriptures that had a real, a real influence uh, on yeah. my life. Um, and her love of the scriptures and my dad's love of the temple, he just loved the temple. And uh, they started uh, serving in the Jordan River Temple as soon as it was built. The, he was part of the dedication choir and then just started serving as soon as it was built. Uh, at that point, President Benson uh, would go to the Jordan River Temple because it had fewer stairs than the Salt Lake Temple. And, and my dad was one of the younger workers. So he, his job would be to help President Benson into the building and that kind of a thing. Wow, that's um, so cool. So I, I learned to love temples and love scriptures from my parents. Yeah, that's so interesting. So like seeing your mom read the scriptures, what strategies did you employ to kind of bring your scripture study to life? Uh, for me, it was just, I loved reading anyway. And okay. uh, as I approached this, well, again, I'll, I'll say, I don't know how and when I came to know the scriptures, but I, I learned them and it must've been from my parents, but I don't remember specific instances or anything like that. You know, we did, family home evening some of the time. I was kind mm -hmm. of a, uh, a knothead for that. I can remember that my parents would uh, let each of us take turns uh, teaching the lessons. I was the third of six and the younger three, I thought taught ridiculous lessons. And I would get upset that we had to sit through these silly kid lessons and they got kind of right. So I don't know that I was the best family home evening participant, which by the way, when I met my wife, she was my family home evening mom. And she would probably say the same thing. We tried to bust this <laughs> up as well, but um but I do remember, just as an example, like when I was in primary, and I think I was about eight years old, and we were doing some kind of a game. You know, the primary choristers are fantastic, and then they come up with these games to come up with songs. And and our chorister had this game where it was like a matching game, and, and it was about some kind of Old Testament scripture story. And then you would uh, sing a song that had something to do with that. And I remember that there was uh, she had something about the story of uh, Samson and Delilah. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, there's an Old Testament story I don't know. That is I was so excited and I had to go home and read it that day because I, I didn't know that there it was an, an Old Testament story that I didn't know. Right. And and I, wow. I loved the stories 
Uh, I have no idea how I, I knew them already, but I, I just, I love them. Well, I do remember like a, an Old Testament reader book that my grandparents had that I'd read when I was sitting at their house and bored and, and some things like that. But uh, every time I found a new story, it, it just excited the Dickens out of me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's kind of how I approached them was as stories. And there was certainly doctrine in there. But I love the stories and the reality of the people and the lives they were mm-hmm. living. And that's still my love. And that's that's part of why I'd love to help other people see how real it is, is because that was what fascinated me even from my you know primary age days. Yeah. So how did you differentiate between like these are fictional characters and I'm reading stories to like these were real people that like knew God? Kind well, of that thing. was that was actually the thing that I loved about them. So the other thing that I loved, I loved Greek myths. And uh, okay. ancient stories. I just love them. So I can also remember sitting at my uh, my grandparents' house. So my mom's uh, dad worked for the railroad, right? They 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 were poor. He worked for Union Pacific Railroad. Um, they they didn't have a lot, right? They they're just simple folks. But they did have this little nook of their house. It had actually been their garage that then they built a separate garage and they. So their house started out as a, a World War II bungalow. They got this and they moved it up uh, on the Grandview bench in, in Provo in Utah. And they built that as a, a house. Well, they stayed in there and then they built a little house. And then eventually they turned the garage into this dining room. And there was a little nook of it where they had a bookshelf and they had some books. And they'd gotten some Reader's Digest books. And s- several of them were Greek myths. And I'd sit there and read those myths. And then I'd read those Bible reader stories. And I can remember thinking, it is so cool that the Bible stories are real. I loved the Greek myths, but I knew they weren't real and they were fantastic and cool and everything else. But it was more exciting for me to read something that was real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this might speak a little bit to, to maybe some of what if it's all right, if I uh, go this way, some of um, while I can't remember a time I didn't have a testimony. I can remember lots of times of my testimony growing and being stretched and and being reaffirmed. Yeah. And a lot of those have had to do with um, my intellectual life. And uh, for me, it is so exciting when I'm, uh, so I'm an archeologist, I guess I didn't say that part. I direct an excavation in Egypt and, and I, I, I go and I dig there and I've uh, worked with lots of people in Israel. I don't excavate in Israel because that doesn't always go over really well. Uh, in all over the Arab world, but I've I've certainly gone and seen the excavations with the people who excavate there and consulted with them and and uh, on dozens of excavations in Israel. And I study them like crazy and I take students. I've, uh, I was a student at the BYU Jerusalem Center and I've been a teacher there twice taking students around and I still direct tours there all the time. In fact, what I was doing right before we got on was uh, figuring out an itinerary for a tour. So in Israel, so uh, I... Uh, I love going to these places. And sometimes you find remains that you say, huh, how does that work in with the story? And uh, and it takes mm-hmm. a while to, to figure it out. Um, and uh, and I'm okay with saying, you know, there are probably, we know that the Bible has had some things uh, added to and taken away and so on. So I, I, I have no problem theologically if I find an element of the story that, oh, they exaggerated this, or oh, I'm not sure it really happened this way. Mm-hmm. But uh, But what I have found is that the better our scholarship is, the more it supports the scriptures. And I found that with every book of scripture. Um, but I yeah. particularly love how much archaeology there is to do with the Old Testament and uh, and how much as I study it and I and I look and I say, well, this really is where uh, where David walked, right? This really is 
where uh, we can see the, the I've seen uh, remains where I'm like, that's the fingerprint of Solomon right there. He's the only one who would have built that kind of thing in this place in Amman, Jordan. Right. Uh, and, and so that's really cool. In fact, maybe I'll also tell another story along these lines. Uh, and you tell me when I'm telling too many stories or going off. No, too. you're, you're uh, doing but, good. I love it. Um, I can remember when I was a student at the BYU Jerusalem Center and the first field trip we went on. Uh, they took us to this site called Nebi Samuel. It's and that that means that's uh, Arabic for the prophet Samuel. Nebi uh, Shmuel would be Hebrew, but and it's a place where there's both a, a synagogue and a, a mosque for the prophet Samuel. They both revere the prophet Samuel, as do I. Um, and uh, because of that phrase that they they let none of his words fall to the ground, they both feel like okay, he's a prophet that if. Uh, the Lord really listens to and so on. And so that's a place where if you really need a prayer answered, you go there kind of a thing. But anyway, we're yeah. standing at, uh, at this mountain and my teacher, Dr. Donald Perry, who was my Hebrew teacher, I was on the intensive Hebrew program at the no Jerusalem way. Center. And uh, he was showing us across the, there. You look out at the edge of the hill, you go down a valley, and then there's another hill that's Gibeon. And he's telling us the stories that Gibeon, this is where, there was a battle that Joshua fought and the sun and the moon stood still and so on. And he's telling us that story. And then he's telling us that's also where Solomon was when he had his vision and the Lord asked him, ask what you want. And he says, I, I need an understanding heart to be able to judge these people. And he was blessed with the gift of wisdom. And I can remember feeling the spirit so strongly telling me what I already knew. I, I knew this and fully believed it already, but so strongly testifying these stories are real. Mm -hmm. These are real people. These things happen right here. Uh, these are people with hopes and dreams like you have and and difficulties like you have. But these stories are real and the lessons in them are just as real and can be applied to you. And uh, it while I already knew that that was life changing for me, it changed what I wanted to, to do and see. And so on. It was in incredible for me. Yeah. Thing that's so cool and such a powerful experience. I've heard of a lot of, well, first of all, I Donald Perry's my Hebrew teacher right now, so yeah. that's really cool. Yep. <laughs> I, 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 I knew that, yeah, yeah, he is a great teacher, uh huh. Yeah. Um, and then also, I've heard so many stories of like I just have friends or like my friend's parents have gone to Jerusalem and the Holy Lands, and yeah, they talk about the spirit that they feel there is just so powerful, knowing that you know these prophets have walked there or that Jesus walked there, you know, it's so yeah. cool. It really does become yeah. real. And that's powerful. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Um, so let's go back a little bit to your kind of growing up years, the mm -hmm. forming of the testimony. Um, so entering school and high school, um, what influence did your peers have on your testimony? Oh, they, they did have a big influence. So I, I am fortunate to have uh, ended up with some great friends. I went to a really small um, grade school. Uh, that is now a Shake Shack in Sandy, um, but uh, <laughs> it was it, it would have been torn down, I think, long ago, except for that the uh, the entryway into the gym was a Pony Express stop. So it was a, a National Historical Monument, so they couldn't tear it down. So it sat vacant so for funny. about 30 years and then someone just turned it into a Shake Shack a few years ago. But it was really small. So uh, we had one one class per grade kind of size. Right. Uh uh, I knew everyone in my grade all the time. We were all the same, hardly anyone moving in or out a little bit. But and uh, the the friends that I had there are were my friends through 
I, I met a, made another one of my closest friends in grade school and in high school. But that kind of core group are still my friends that I do things with. We were roommates in college. We were great close friends in high school. And, and so it was kind of like I didn't have a tremendous amount of choice who would be my friends. There weren't very many to choose from in that small little class, right? I was friends with everyone, but the ones that I was closest with have ended up being just amazing, amazing guys. And uh, we were knuckleheads at times, there's no doubt. And we were smart alecks and got into our share of mischief and and everything else. And yet always we're bringing each other back to saying, this is, this is real. This is a, a, the, the gospel is real. The gospel is important. Mm. Let's let's rein ourselves in on these things. Uh, you know, when we were dating in college, we would we'd try and help our, each other like, hey, you may be getting close to going over a line there. Let's let's be careful uh, at the same time that we were all encouraging each other to date as much as possible and that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> my friends were incredible. Um, and uh, I, I would say studying seminary with them made a huge difference in my life. Uh, yeah. a, a really, really big difference where we would talk as we'd walk back. So the seminary building, we were in Utah, so it was part of high school, but it wasn't in the high school. You'd have to walk off campus across just up some stairs and there's the seminary building. I went to Alta High School and um, and the conversations we'd have, even if they weren't in the same class as me, I always had some of my friends that I would walk to seminary and from seminary with. And we'd talk about seminary. And sometimes we'd talk about the girls we were going out with or whatever else, right? But And the football game and whatever else. But we we would often talk about what we learned in seminary. And uh, that was powerful for me to, uh, to have, we'd have deep discussions. Well, even before that, I can remember um, with two of these friends, sometimes we'd stay after at middle school and the middle school was a ways away from our house. And if we'd stay after to do something, then we had to walk home and it was probably an hour's walk. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a different day than what we would have today. But we just walk going through fields and whatever else and walk home. And we would have deep discussions about all sorts of things. But it always had a religious element to it because we were trying to figure out life. Right. We're 13, whatever. But trying yeah. to figure out life. And we would talk about um, the gospel and what it really meant and how it really affected the way we interacted with other people and so on. So my friends had a, a big effect. But but yeah. maybe just while we're on that topic, I'll also say that. um some, so as I said, I can remember lots of little times where I, I can say, oh, I already knew at that point, I already knew I'd already felt the spirit. I, I already already like I can remember feeling the spirit so often that I don't remember when I wasn't feeling the spirit. Yeah. Um, but some of the times that influenced me the most were in seminary. Um, the spirit really, really testifying to me of the truth of the Book of Mormon and the power it could have in my life. And some of that was mm-hmm. was because President Benson uh, who was president of the Quorum of the Twelve at at the when this first started was talking about the Book of Mormon, and then as he became president of the church, uh, and he was talking about it, and gave some landmark addresses on the Book of Mormon, like while I was on my mission. But uh, he keyed me into that, and I that became I get, developed a really really strong testimony of that. But I would say the first kind of element of the gospel that I can remember having burning experiences with that I absolutely knew so powerful. I could not deny, could not argue. And it just consumed me. We're about Joseph Smith and the fact mm. that he was a prophet. Um, and some of that, Oh, actually that does remind me of another element that I didn't uh, talk about, but that had a huge effect on me. Um, one year. So it was when I was 11, I just barely turned 11. And um, 
my dad, as I said, worked for IBM and he used to have to go to New York or different places where they were going to be getting a different system and he'd have to be trained sometimes for three weeks, sometimes for six weeks or something like that. And he'd be gone. But one time it was in the summer and he came up with this plan that we would all go. And he, he, we borrowed a motorhome and he built a rack on it to put a little motorcycle on so that he could get around when we got there. And we toured uh, the U.S. all the way back there, stayed in New York for six weeks in Kingston, New York, and then toured all the way back home. And so while we were doing that, we went to all these church history sites, right? That's and so cool. I still remember the Sacred Grove. And the, as I'm 11 years old and the power of the test, the spirit that I felt there that told me that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And then the power of Moroni's visit and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, those two things were just seared into my soul in a way that I can still, uh, I can still remember those feelings and mm. knowing what it is and the reality of that, that that was a different kind of communication than happened in any other way. And I, I really came to trust in the spirit because I could tell the difference between it and every other kind of feeling I ever felt. It was different, more real and more powerful. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool too. I remember going to Sacred Grove when I was young too. And I don't know if I had a testimony at that point, but I do remember like feeling the spirit strong, like knowing that this was like sacred ground. And yeah. so I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so you're having super spiritual experiences, super young. And like, like you said, like you've can't remember a time when you didn't have the spirit with you or when you didn't have a testimony. How did you keep the seeds of like doubt from entering your mind and like kind of keep strong to like this pathway that you were on? Yeah. I think that is probably the most pertinent and relevant question uh, I can imagine. And and I would say, I, I don't know that I could say I didn't uh, keep the seeds of doubt from coming. I had all sorts of questions. I have an inquisitive mind. I, I'm always, I want to know. I want to know this. I want to know that. I want to mm -hmm. see how this works. I want to see how that works. And what does that look like? And so on. Um, and so I've always been uh, uh, looking into things and I have um, been researching gospel things since, I mean, when I was in college, I got a job as a research assistant for a religion professor, right? I, I mean, I've just been researching this stuff for now. When did I first get that job? In 92, so 30 years now. Um, and uh, so I've encountered a lot of things that have made me say, huh, how does that work? That seems to be at odds with what I know spiritually. And especially, I'll, I'll say, um, because I'm an Egyptologist, I, I didn't set out to study the Book of Abraham. I actually kind of wanted to avoid it because I don't like contention and that kind of a thing. And I knew there's a lot of contention around that. But as a, an LDS Egyptologist, I really wasn't able to avoid it. So when I started to try and study just enough to be able to answer people's questions, uh, I got hooked into the questions myself. I'm like, wow, there's some fascinating questions that we should try and find answers here. And I really got hooked into it. And so I've spent uh several decades now uh more than two decades really researching well well about two decades uh really researching the book of abraham and th there are enough controversial things in there with enough smart people who are trying to go after uh the church in regards to the book of abraham that i've often encountered something where i've said huh how does that work with what i know uh or what i believe uh and and so i'll Maybe I'll say two things about how uh, I've worked with that. Um, one is it's always been really clear to me the relevance of different kinds of learning. And I've even um, written about this 
Uh, there's a chapter in a, a book I wrote about the book of Abraham called uh, Let's Talk About the Book of Abraham. And there's a chapter in there that talks about how do we know what we know? And mm -hmm. and I have realized the limitations of what um, we might call uh, academic or scientific inquiry can give us. It can give us lots of answers in lots of ways and fantastic tools and all sorts of stuff. But on the most important questions, it has limited ability to give us answers. Uh, mm -hmm. We should use it to the best of our ability, but it has limited ability. I also realize the value and importance of revelation as a source of knowledge. And, and we could get into technical discussion of what we call epistemology. And I do that a little bit in, in my book and so on. But uh, revelation, some people will, in epistemological circles, which is, epistemology is the science of uh, of learning or how do we learn? How do we know? Um, they, they call it intuition, but revelation fits in that category. Um, mm -hmm. And I've also realized both its its limits and its abilities. So it has the potential to be limitless, but in practical application, it does have some limits. So, for example, I would really like to know uh, one of the things I've studied a lot as a uh, someone who's both has degrees in, in Hebrew and uh, my secondary emphasis in my PhD was Hebrew language and literature. But my primary was Egyptology. And, and that kind of wedding brings you to the Exodus. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to know when. What Pharaoh was Pharaoh when Moses was uh, interacting with them and when the Exodus is happening? I would love mm -hmm. to know that. I, I'm positive that Revelation could tell me that. I'm also thinking it's unlikely that it will. I don't mm -hmm. know that God is going to reveal that to me uh, or what Moses's birthday was or something along those mm -hmm. lines, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's capable, but it's probably not going to happen. But mm -hmm. Revelation is capable of telling me, was Joseph Smith a prophet? Was he inspired when he translated the Book of Mormon? Was he inspired when he translated the Book of Abraham? Those are the kinds of questions that it is equipped to answer. Um, and I trust in Revelation uh, as a very viable and important source of knowledge. So when it seems like the two come into conflict, when I encounter something in my academic research that seems like it's conflicting with the knowledge that I have that uh, Joseph Smith was inspired when he translated the book of Abraham, then I have to say, okay, let's put this on the shelf and I'll keep researching and I'll keep praying and uh, uh, reading the book of Abraham and we'll see where it goes. And every time that I, I, there are a couple of questions that I don't have answers to yet. Let's just be clear about that. There are a couple of things I'm like, huh, I don't know exactly how that works. But, uh, but there I can tell you dozens of times where I, uh, I, I didn't understand something to begin with, but as I did the research well, the research actually answered itself and came into alignment with what I'd already learned through Revelation, which is Joseph Smith was an inspired prophet. It's happened to me yeah. so many times that at this point, I, it, it doesn't faze me. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that'll work itself out. I've seen it work itself out so often. I'm not worried about this. Um, but uh, part of that is because I've learned how to value Revelation as a source of knowledge. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And also like what a cool example of combining like experiences and faith into like now just like trusting that like the answers will come. Yeah. That's so think, valuable. And I think that's a really, really important topic for today. Like a lot of people are struggling if it's not academic issues as it were, social issues might be more, mm. more common, right? Uh, the place of, of women in the church or uh, the place of 
uh, gender, sexuality or sexual orientation and marriage and all sorts of social issues that are really important to people today. And the world mm -hmm. is telling them one thing, just like maybe my academic training was telling me one thing. And Revelation seems to be telling us something that, that seems to be at odds. And often I found that when I thought that that academic things and Revelation were at odds, the more I looked at it, the more I figured out they weren't at odds. I just had built a paradigm that that created that. And it was a false paradigm, the way I was. Yeah. That happens, I think, with social issues as well. If we know that prophets are inspired of God and that God has all truth and he knows what is best for us, then when we have these things that the world is telling us on social issues and they don't seem to mesh, then we can just say, okay, I'm going to trust revelation. And, and sooner or later, I will see how these things work together. The spirit will help me mesh it together in my mind. It may take a, a little while. It might take me a few years. I don't know. Um, but mm -hmm. I can, I can trust in God enough to be patient in that messy middle while I wait for God to help it all make sense in my mind and know yeah. that it's it's better to trust what's coming through revelation than it is all the, the trendy ideas of the world, which honestly will change in five years anyway. And then there'll be another way of looking at it and then another way of looking at it and then another way of looking at it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I've seen a lot of my peers struggle with the social issues and I like myself have been like, wait, that's kind of crazy. And I totally agree with what you're saying. You just got to have faith that, you know, it'll work itself out and trust revelation above all yeah. else. So I second your testimony on that. You know, um, academia is always learning like things that theories that we thought were true yesterday, tomorrow, we will know, Oh, actually we were wrong on that. And that's one of the mm -hmm. reasons why revelation is more consistent. Let's, let's be careful uh, adopting the the academic theory of the day at, at, over revelation. I would say that about social theories as well. You know, yeah. the, the way we view these things is different today than it was the day before and the day before, and it'll be different five years from now. Why get caught up in what is the big burning movement right now that a, a few years later we'll say, whoa, we were looking at that weird and ignore the stable, steady, reliable source of revelation. Yeah, fully agree. So you talked a little bit about how your dad had a really strong testimony of the temple. Mm -hmm. How did attending the temple, um, receiving your own endowment, uh, impact your testimony? Uh, I, I love it. Again, I'm someone who is uh, prone to analytics. Uh, I love symbolism. It's part of why I got into the Bible and then got into Egyptology, really, because I thought they were better at doing symbols than anyone else. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, from early on, I was just eating up the symbols of the temple and and seeing how it taught me about how it could be transformed by Christ and come back to God. And uh, I have a yearning to be with God. And so it, it was exciting to me. But it's also informed like a, a lot of research. I wrote a long paper in, in graduate school on the symbolism of Egyptian temples. But as I'm writing, I'm like, wow, I could be writing about um LDS temples. And in fact, that's a book I've been working on. And it's my, I've got two projects I'm trying to finish up now. And then my next big project is to write a book on ancient temples, Temple of Solomon, the Egyptian temples, those kinds of things, and how that's they help so us cool. understand modern temples. So uh, understanding the ancient world and ancient temples has really uh, affected my love for the current temple. And, and But what they all do is affect my understanding and appreciation of the gift of Jesus Christ. Mm. and how he makes it so we can come home again. That's beautiful. That's so cool. Um, oh, I forgot my next question. Ah. 
Oh, but, yeah, go ahead. Um, so I, you've mentioned that you served a mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to serve a mission and then what your experience was like on a mission? Yeah. Well, I, again, uh, my friends and I were all just excited about missions. We, I, I believed in prophets and they were telling us we should go on missions. And so I never had a doubt that I should go on a mission. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I did struggle with the idea of being a returned missionary because there was a lot of stigmas like, oh, well, then you're going to be wanting to get married tomorrow or something like that. So I didn't <laughs> love the idea of being a returned missionary, but I love the idea of being a missionary. Uh, we took mission prep classes in high school, uh, in college, our freshman year when we were rooming together. We all took a mission prep class in college together. Um, we were all really excited about it. I served in Southern California and had just a fantastic experience. Um, there were, with as with any mission, lots of, of tricky things as well, companions that didn't want to do the work and um, uh, people who were we i lived in some this was at the height of the gang era in southern california and uh and a lot of drug dealing things going on as well and the height of smog in southern california so i, I served uh from 88 to 90 and uh it, there i served a, i was in a couple times in some pretty uh shady areas where i was living and we had to be careful but uh but i really yeah. just had fantastic experience i think that I think I was always someone who loved people, but that probably more than any, well, I'd say two things that I grew for me on my mission more than anything else on my mission, my love of people and my love of God. And it's while I was on my mission that I realized how much joy I felt when love of God was the first priority in my life and and uh trusting in god and and doing whatever he asked because i loved him the amount of joy that i felt and the amount of revelation that i felt when that was my priority and then the amount that that helped me really love other people uh those were things i kind of understood before but i came to understand them much better on my mission but i'd say i'm still learning about those things in fact maybe i could share another story that's far more recent, but I, I think is really relevant for the idea of how you ma- maintain your testimony, especially through struggles and difficult things and so on, uh, and and how it's interacted with that, if that's okay. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so as I said, I, I, I learned to love God and, and to really make my top priority in life to just do whatever God wanted me to do, to, to submit my will to his became my joy. Um, and when you don't have a lot on the line, it's actually fair. It's, it's a lot easier, right? Um, you're a single guy, you don't have that many cares in the world. And it's pretty easy to just say, yeah, I'll do whatever you want, God. Uh, I mean, sometimes hard to, uh, when you're dating to remember that, but that was uh, uppermost in my mind and so on. Um, I can remember uh, because of that desire that one of my favorite hymns became uh, Nearer My God to Thee. And this idea mm. that all these experiences, trials or whatever else would help you draw closer to God. And I love that. It's pretty easy to love that when you haven't had a lot of trials. Um, and then I can remember um, later when I was uh, teaching at the Jerusalem Center and we, we, uh, I was teaching at the Jabbok River, which is the place where um, Jacob has the wrestle with the angel and um, is, uh, you know, he has this wrestle and, and then he's renamed Israel. 
Uh, and that song has a lot of imagery from Jacob's experience. It talks about, a, 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 you know, his stones. That's from his first vision and so on. But it has a lot of imagery about Jacob in yeah. it. And I couldn't help but we started to sing that song while we were there. And I couldn't help but think about that song. And at the time, my father uh, had Parkinson's and it was getting pretty bad. And uh, he would die not too long afterwards um, from complications from Parkinson's. But as I thought about um, my father and his attitude uh, through his trials, and I could see him being like Jacob and saying, even though it be a cross, that raises me nearer my God to thee. And I could see that in him. And it became not just one of my favorite songs. It became my favorite song. It touched me so deeply and meant mm -hmm. so much to me to see the terrible things that my, and, and Parkinson's is a terrible disease and the things it does to, to great people that just, it's terrible. And to see what yeah. was happening to my father and see the way he handled it was inspiring. Well, a few years later, this, so now this is just a few years ago, I have a, a daughter who um, had a lot of health challenges and uh, they started to get to be really, really difficult and really chronic and chronic pain. And that spiraled into, um, because her brain didn't know how to deal with all the pain, spiraled into a neurological disorder that caused her more health problems, right? So they kind of spiraled on top of themselves. The neurological disorder developed, that caused more health problems. And this started to cause mental health problems, which caused more health problems, which caused more neurological uh, issues and so on. And uh, we had a while that was terrible, just absolutely terrible and my heart was breaking it still is in many ways for my daughter um, but things have gotten better because we finally figured out what this neurological disease was and so on but um but at the time like both in terms of, of health wise there were times where we didn't like i thought man we know what no doctors knew what was going on and we i don't know how she's going to survive this i thought she was going to die there were times where she didn't want to live because of the mental health challenges the neurological disorder would sometimes trigger panic attacks and and severe depression and things like this uh, and so i can remember one time uh, one summer when we just i just wanted her to have some happy moments sometimes and uh, I knew when she was younger, we'd gone to some vocal point concerts and she'd loved it. And they were doing this big anniversary concert up in the tabernacle. And so we took her and one of her friends up there just so she could have a, a happy hour. We just wanted her to have a time that was happy. And um, one of the singers uh, started to sing Nearer My God to Thee. And I was so glad. It's my favorite song. And then I started to think about that line even though it be a cross that raises me. And I realized that right now, the cross that was raising me was my daughter suffering. And I actually didn't like that. I suddenly hated that song. And I had to sift through, God, I don't know how I feel about you right now. I don't know how I feel about this right now. I can't take seeing my daughter suffer anymore. And we've been praying and praying and praying for miracles. Uh, again and again. And President Nelson had given his talk, pray for and expect miracles. And mm. we put faith in that. And we were praying for them. And we just it just wasn't happening. And our prayers weren't being answered. And she was getting worse and worse and worse and so on and so on. And and uh, I, I hadn't it hadn't been a faith issue for me until I was listening to that song. And I thought of it that way, that why would my daughter be the cross that's raising me? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. And and I don't know. She was having so much pain in so many different ways. I just didn't know. Can I really take this from you, God? 
not that you're inflicting it, but we're praying for relief from this, right? And and it was difficult, and it took me a few weeks. That 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 really got me thinking, and I had to think and study and pray. And this is one of the things, and I could have said this about when I was talking about the Book of Abraham or other things as well. Uh, I think it's intellectually dis- disingenuous if you have questions about God to start going everywhere else and not go to God. Or if you have questions about the book of Abraham, to start going everywhere else and not go to the book of Abraham. I just think that's that's not intellectually honest. That's not a real pursuit of trying to find answers. You should look everywhere, but that includes looking at the book of Mormon or the book of Abraham and, and talking to God. And so I started uh, struggling, but uh, talking to God about it as well. And one of the things that I came to realize is that we had been seeing miracles. When I stopped saying, okay, this is the miracle I was asking for. I want this to end. I want the full cure, and I want it right now. And I, I started to, to say, well, if God knows better than me, what is it that, how, how might he be answering our prayers? And I looked, and we started to see that we'd experienced hundreds of miracles, some of them amazing. And as we started to look for it from that time forward, we've seen a never-ending stream of miracles. We still haven't had the miracle that we would like the most, which is just cure this. Just make this be done, cure it and end it. Um, but in God's wisdom, that's not what's happening. But it is clear that he is answering our prayers, not the way we were wanting, but in some wonderful, amazing ways. And uh, and that helped me to start to, to work through other questions I was asking about that very issue. And it was only a matter of a few weeks, but within a few weeks, I was back to loving that song and feeling like God really was with us. I still wanted him and I still want him. Please just end this. Please just, and I believe he could, but I trust that he does that which is best for us. I don't know why that's not best for us. But I believe in him and I trust in him and I see the miracles and I feel his love and I see his love. For a few weeks, I didn't. Um, but I do see and feel his love and know he's answering our prayers in the way that's best, even if it's not the way I want. And that I, I at the same time, I was uh, started. Well, not at the same time, just after this, I started reading a book by a woman who I've had on my podcast named uh, Emily uh, Robinson Adams who has a book uh, called Divine Quietness. And she talks about what about when God just seems like he just stops talking to you? You're not getting mm-hmm. any kind of answer from him at all. And she goes through, okay, well, maybe I've misunderstood what God is is like. And, you know, I feel like uh, she makes reference to, I think it was an Elder Christopherson talk where this kind of vending, idea of a vending machine God. If I put my quarter in, I said my prayers and I went to the church and I lived my covenants, why am I not getting the sandwich that I ordered out? But God's not a vending machine. He's going to give you what you need, not what it is you ordered, right? And I had to struggle with that. It, interestingly, I was in the midst of, of publishing and writing a lot about covenants and covenant blessings while I was having that struggle. And that's one of the things I said, I'm like, I'm keeping my covenants and I'm relying on covenant blessings. Where are they? And then I saw they're all around me. Not necessarily the sandwich that I ordered, but they're all around me. And uh, and that was powerful for me. And uh is still my so even though i can't remember when i didn't have a testimony i can remember my testimony growing actually yesterday um and i can remember my testimony growing uh uh, what would that have been uh, a year and a few months ago is when this experience was um i can remember uh, my testimony growing all sorts of times so having a testimony doesn't mean you're done you need to keep going with that struggle 
Uh, but keep turning to God and you'll be all right. It's when you stop turning to God that you're not going to be okay. I totally agree. Um, so this is, I mean, more like a curiosity question, but since you've studied the scriptures so much your whole life and in so much depth, how do you keep your personal scripture study to continue to be exciting and like still informational? Yeah, all sorts of different ways. Uh, and this is true of human nature in general. So remember, I have a degree in psychology. I really get into just human nature and how it works as well. There's not anything that, that works that if we keep doing it ad nauseum stays fresh, right? In almost any aspect of life, you always have to find a way of mixing it up, whether that's an exercise routine, a way of getting better at at a particular skill, uh, or, uh, your, uh, life, your romantic life with your spouse. Uh, and I don't mean like, I mean, I, I guess that's true sexually as well, but I mean, like you're just keeping that love alive with your spouse, right? Um, nothing thrives if you stop. And it's actually true of trees and gardens and everything else, right? You can't just keep doing the exact same thing all the time. Sooner or later that stops working and you have to do something else, a different kind of nutrition plant, the, the mint here and the cucumber there instead switch where they are or whatever else. Right. And so uh, it's true of scripture study. You have to, uh, to kind of mix it up. And so there are times where uh, just trying to read the Book of Mormon as much and as fast as I can, where that's the answer for me. Uh, there are times where it is throwing my heart into what I'm teaching. Right. So reading the Old Testament with you guys right now, um, there are times where I'm choosing a subject like the the um, the covenant. And I spent like three years just combing the scriptures and and uh, looking for elements of the covenant. And I'd see this. And I'm like, oh, now I need to study that topic of it or that aspect of it and so on and so on. Um, there are, are times where uh, you, you just uh, say, OK, this conference talk inspired me and it had these scriptures in it what what are more scriptures that uh, are being used by the prophet right now you know there are all sorts of different things so i often has a, have a project that i'm interested in right so uh when i get back to writing this book on temples then i'll be looking at a lot of scriptures on temples and that that will keep it fresh for me um come follow me has been fantastic for for me i love um trying to say, okay, I've read all of these scriptures and numerous times for most of them, like a lot of times. And uh, yet to say, okay, how can I study at this time so that I can teach my family so that I can participate in my ward? Uh, mm. How can I get more out of it this time than last time? Uh, and that's been really fun for me. So all of those yeah. things uh, have been great. That's super cool. Um, so with general conference coming up, you kind of mentioned gaining inspiration from general conference talks, but what do you do to prepare for general conference? And then what do you do to apply the messages that you heard in general conference to your life? So I don't know that I have a consistent thing that I do every time. Like I I do whatever seems to be working best of the time. And I, I really do try and live by whatever inspiration is coming to me. Then I do that. Right. So this time, I have been praying for about a month now for the those who will be speaking in conference to mm-hmm. uh, be inspired in, in what they say and 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 uh, and so on, um, and that has gotten me looking forward to conference more than anything I've done in the past. I don't think I've ever done it quite that way before. Usually, like the day of, I'm praying, blessed, right? But but uh, I mean, I know that they're actually doing their talks ahead of time and and so on, and so I started praying for it earlier. And uh, wow, it really has me excited for conference. 
And, um, and I've also, uh, just started listening to old president Nelson talks. So, uh, I've been listening to some talks of his from 1996 and from 2007 and so on and so on. And then, uh, listening to all of his talks, he's given as president of the church. Uh, you know, I, I have drive time. I have uh, exercise time. I have time where I woke up and I'd like to go back to sleep. And so I use all of those things to, to right now to be listening to conference. And that's got me really excited about this. Uh, I, I will just say, so I've, I've loved every prophet that I can remember. Like President Kimball is kind of the prophet of my youth, President Benson, the prophet of my young single adulthood. Uh, mm. And during all of that, I love President Hinckley. Uh, I mean, so much. He was kind of our prophet through three prophets, right? Um, love President Hinckley so much and the, the storyteller, President Monson. I have to say, I am absolutely amazed and enthralled with President Nelson and the way he is leading us. And he seems to be just so carefully guiding us from step to step of getting more and more holy, drawing closer and closer to the Lord. He, he has these things, let's do this. It'll get us closer. And then this, and it'll get us closer. And every now and then I say, and we need to stop doing this, uh, you know, like contention. You, you, twice he's told us, you got to stop that or we're not going to make it. Anyway, so mm-hmm. studying President Nelson and where he's trying to take us and how he's trying to take us there has got me uh, more excited for conference than I think I've ever been. That's so cool. I think that you described it perfectly as like he's carefully guiding us because that's exactly like the character trait that comes to mind when I think of President Nelson always is conscientious. Like every single one of his talks is clearly like meticulously crafted to lead us um, closer to Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. So I love President Nelson too. Yeah, Um, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing ride with President Nelson. Breathtaking at times. Yeah. Uh-huh. 100%. Uh, my last question for you is, what is your advice for somebody struggling to gain a testimony? Uh, I appreciate that question. And uh, I think, oh, it's just just so powerful to, um, to think of remembering what you have learned. So I think there are two things. If you, if you haven't ever had a testimony, then turn to God, try some of those things. So just as an example, and this would be a great place to start. You need to start somewhere. I would recommend starting with the Book of Mormon, right? So as I said, I knew, I remember loving the Book of Mormon, knowing the Book of Mormon was true, but there was this great talk by President uh, Benson when I was uh, younger and he was quoting uh, President Romney, but uh, he talked about, if you study the Book of Mormon seriously, you will see this and this and this and this and this in your life. And I decided I'm going to go like 100 days without missing the Book of Mormon and see if that happens. And wow, it happened, right? So this is like a scientific experiment. It's kind of like Alma saying experiment on the word, but it's like a scientific experiment where you say, here's the theory. I'm going to do this. Oh, look, it happened. Well, and can I duplicate it and can others duplicate it? I had friends who tried it. I tried it again. Yes, you could duplicate This happens. Mm-hmm. This is real, right? So I would say if you're struggling to, to get a testimony, then uh, do something like that. Take either studying the words of the living prophets or the Book of Mormon uh, and praying to God and put your whole heart into it and see what happens to you. See if it's not like President Nelson said, if that's where you really find peace and rest and joy, right? Yeah. And, 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 it, and you will. You really will. If you've had a testimony, sometimes you can be doing those things and it still kind of struggles. I would say this, and I wish I'd done this with my children more. Um, I hope that people will write down when they have experiences, the kind of experiences you and I have talked about. I hope that people will write it down and that when your children have it, you'll write it down for them. 
because later on, they're not going to remember it. And you can get it out and say, I remember when this happened for you. And I remember when this, do you remember that? And then they may remember those feelings because we're not going to feel the spirit every moment of every day. And we may go months without feeling the spirit, especially now it's, we're having this wave of uh, mental health challenges, depression and anxiety. And it's very, very difficult to fill the spirit when you're having those challenges. And what's more, the medication that we use, and, and please don't take me wrong, I'm not asking anyone to jump off their medication. Don't do anything without talking to your, your psychiatrist and your psychologist or whatever else, right? But the medication that we use is feeling numbing enough that that can make it very difficult to fill the spirit. You might be filling the spirit mm -hmm. and you can't tell because you're, you're, you're numb to your feelings. Uh, in fact, I once uh, met a girl who said, uh, I recognize that because of my mental health challenges and the, the medication I'm on, that I have a hard time feeling the spirit. So I just pray that other people will fill the spirit and I'll just know when they're telling me something that I should do. Uh, I, I, that was a really mature way to go about it. But anyway, but what you can also do is go back and read or remember the times that you have felt the spirit. And that is really powerful. And the other one is a thing I would recommend is what I, I already have is don't be intellectually disingenuous. If you are struggling with your testimony, look for answers all over the place, but that has to include the sources you're really wanting to know about. You have to keep studying the words of modern prophets. You have to keep reading the scriptures and you have to keep praying. And if you're not doing that, you're not being honest in your pursuit of truth. Uh, you're mm -hmm. not really trying to figure it out. So keep doing it while you're looking at whatever else it is you're looking at. Keep doing that. And it will be really important for you. I'd also recommend uh, reading or, or listening to a BYU devotional by Elder Corbridge called um, Stand Forever uh, that addresses a lot of these issues that I think is one of the more powerful uh, talks that I've heard. It's, it's, I would recommend that for anyone who's struggling as well. That's so cool. Well, thanks and, so and much. Maybe I I'll just I... add if it's okay that yeah. I, I don't know why, but I just want to add this. I cannot tell you how many times I have had both intellectual and spiritual experiences that have confirmed my testimony, whether that be linguistic elements of the Book of Mormon. There have been some whoppers where I've thought there is no way Joseph Smith could have known this, but it is such a perfect fit. Uh, I've seen that in the Book of Abraham, like uh, words that Joseph Smith gives us a definition to that as we did the research, we're like, oh, wait, that's exactly what that meant in Abraham's day in Egyptian and not anywhere else. How could Joseph Smith have made that word up, right? Uh, all sorts of things that... I have both an intellectual and a spiritual testimony of, and they complement each other perfectly. I know with every way I know of how to learn, I know that this is the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, that these scriptures that we hold, both ancient and restoration scriptures, are the word of God, and that there are prophets who speak to us today. I've verified it in every way I can think of repeatedly mm -hmm. in my life, and it has been powerful, and it's true. Yeah. Thank you so much for your testimony. That was so powerful. And I think it's hard for a lot of people because, I mean, there's statistics that show that like higher education sometimes results in like less religiosity and stuff like that. Um, so your advice on reconciling faith and uh, education is so helpful and cool. Thank you. Now, here's an interesting caveat to that. You're, you're right that there are all sorts of statistics that show the, the higher education, less the religiosity. The trend is reversed for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Typically, the higher your education, the yeah. more you're religious as a member of our church. And, and that says something, I think. Uh-huh. No, I totally agree. 
So that's so cool. But yeah, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for your advice. Thank you for your storytelling. I really enjoyed interviewing you and I felt the spirit. And I hope that the listeners felt the spirit too and um, you know, found comfort in your journey. Thank you for the opportunity. I, it's As I said, it's a little bit different from my podcast, but I, I, as you asked this, I thought, I teach the scriptures all the time. I'd like to tell some, uh, uh, bear my testimony in some different ways. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, no, it's super fun. I'm, I'm glad you were open to it. <laughs> you're, you're inspired to do this podcast. You're inspired. It's, it's a powerful thing. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>